Lord, that your word is truth, light, life, and power. And we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for sharing with us the power that is resident within you by your precious Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who exchanged his life for ours in a horrible death to spare us and to give us new life as we walk this earth, that we would walk victorious above everything, all the power of darkness, all the power of the enemy, because of the shield of your love that surrounds us at all times. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 So today we're going to talk about the decision. Man, the decision. Very, very good to understand why God gives us time. For those of you who follow the daily teaching on the Internet, that was our teaching this past week, is to get an understanding of why God gives us time. Why? So that we can be enlightened and we can be wise. And we can do wise things. <clears throat> because it's January, I thought I would start with talking about the month of January and why that's significant the way it is. It's the first, it's the first month of the year, but the name January actually comes. Anybody know where that name comes from? January is named after the Roman god Janus, J-A-N-U-S. Not Jay-Z. Janice. J-A-N-U-S, Janice. Janice was the god. His, his image was two faces. One facing back and one facing forward. So Janice was also the god of transition. He was a god of beginnings and endings. He also was the god of gates, doors, and doorways. In fact, there is a, <clears throat> a mutual fund named after him, the Janus Fund, and the image is uh, a big uh, 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 concrete gate or stone gate with his face on the front of it. So he's always known for guarding these things. So when people uh, had something coming up, that was a transition period, say a wedding, uh, if somebody was embarking on a new business, they would always invoke him as the God to watch over those things. If people wanted opportunities, because he is the God of the open doors and closed doors. Huh? Isn't it nice that we got one God that takes care of all this stuff? I mean, you run down to Janice's place and give him an offering, and you got to run over to Zeus and give him one. you got to run over someplace. I mean, come on now. It gets a little tedious, but that's how they divided things up. They, they missed the concept of the one true and living God. Amen. So he was also the God who gave you safe passage to the next level. So he is a God of transition. If people would invoke his blessing, so to speak, on what they were doing, he guided them safely to the next level. He also presided over time. 
and could ensure a good outcome because he could look back and know your history. But he could also look forward and know your future. Now, thank God, God isn't like that. It's a new mercy every day in him. He forgets your past. And what we need to do is forget our past, too. If you're in God, amen? Because anything that God has for you in the future already incorporates your strength that you've had in the past. And it, it takes care of your weakness that you've had in the past. So your future in God takes into account because God, how does God work? He works in righteousness. So what he does is he just prepares you for what he has for you. And as a righteous person, you walk in that righteousness and that takes care of all this other stuff. So you don't have to look at your past and say, well, I've never, I've never been good at this. <laughs> you know? Or look at your past and say, well, this is going to be a piece of cake because I know how to do this. And God, it's a new day all the time. And he will supply to you whatever it is that you need to have a good outcome in your future. Uh, Many times God's had me set aside things that I thought I knew because he wanted to make sure that I walked in the newness that he had for me. He doesn't need he doesn't need our degrees, our intellect, our abilities, our this and our that. He just needs a willing and obedient heart that knows how to walk in righteousness and how to live righteous before him. How to maintain that standing in God. And then he's able to do all of that. We need to know that as we look at the new year and at the coming year. That God gives us a point in time to make decisions for him. And they have eternal consequence. They have eternal consequence. So if he is saying in this new year I want you to come before me. You know this is kind of a tradition in the church. But it makes sense in a lot of ways. Makes tremendous sense in a lot of ways. To come before God, whenever there's an ending of time and a beginning of more time, there's a desire in people's hearts to kind of sum up and evaluate what they've done with the span of time from the last New Year to this one, and then go before God and offer the new time to Him, see, and make the decision that God wants you to make for this new time that's coming upon you. It's good not to have plans of your own. They might be sanctioned by God and they might not. Sometimes people who, even in ministry, your ministry can become kind of stale, complacent, dull, and flat because you don't look to a new vision, a new day to renew things in God, who is fresh and new all the time. But your personal life can often often suffer stagnation. Because we don't look at the new year as an opportunity to forget the old, to evaluate the old. Whatever it is God says that that was a good thing and a reward for you uh, in that past year, receive that. 
But then wipe the slate clean as you get ready for the new year. You should have a blank tablet every new year. You know, a lot of the carryovers are things that we need to get rid of. Hmm? No, we got bad habits. We habits of how we've spent our time with God. I know at the beginning of every new year, I think I should pray more. I should spend more time in the word. I should do this. I should do that. All of those things, they come to you because you recognize when you look back, you said, I had a lot of days that I did almost nothing where I could have at least developed my spiritual awareness to a greater degree. I could have studied more. I could put out more books. There are a lot of things I could do if I worked up to my maximum in God. So there's always going to be challenges for all of us. But but the idea is to look at the past and let it go. See, if you keep dragging the past around you, it gets to be baggage. Hmm? Many times, if, if we say if we haven't used our time wisely in the past year, when we come into the new year, we'll come in with a knowledge of what we didn't do and all of our excuses and all of our reasons and why we can't do it. And it gets to be baggage that weighs us down instead of letting it go and making a decision to let God have this new year, let him have his way let him have his plan. Let him have whatever he wants to do. He owns us. We forget that. We forget that. Because we get so accustomed to going and doing. And many of the things we do, he approves of. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many things that we do that are, are pleasing to God. But then there are many times where we don't really quite measure up and we could do better. And so we need to always keep in mind that he's taking us to a greater level, not only of, of anointing power and responsibility in him, but also vision and understanding how much more he wants us to accomplish while we're down here on earth. So God will give us a point in time to make a decision for him. It's a point in time, and he expects that decision to be made. The decisions we make in God have eternal consequences, all of them. Not just the one when we got born again, but every decision you make has eternal consequences. If nothing else, if it's a righteous seed, it's a seed that you sow that will be added to your account in God. We are sowing and building up treasures in heaven. Now, this sounds a little odd because most people don't talk too much about heavenly treasure. We all talk about cha-ching. You know, give and it'll be given to you. Like a slot machine. Didn't we do that in the church? Now, see, looking back, we're kind of appalled by it. At least I am. You know, where you pull like a lever asking God for telling money to come to you when it don't come to you except by the hand of God. What you're doing is you're treating God like a slot machine. Don't even know it. And you see it didn't work, don't you? You see they didn't stop doing that now. And don't even say it as much anymore because everything that doesn't work pretty much gets cast by the wayside anyway. So the decisions that we make have eternal consequences and eternal value. They're not just temporal. How you spend your money has eternal 
consequences. You know, I can look back <clears throat> and I can see where my parents, according to the way I look at it, didn't have much. But compared to their parents, they had more, you see. So every generation increases in some way. But if you think about it, look at the level where you live now, where your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren going to live. Are they going to live in a higher place than you do? And if that's true, how do we live to make that happen? See, there's something that, amen, that we must do in order to make that happen. I can remember my parents didn't go to church. They always had an excuse, you know, but they sent us from time to time. And I remember my parents wanting us to have a good education. They believed in education. You know, I don't know what people believe in now, but if they believe in education, the results they're getting are pretty sad, considering there's almost a 70% dropout rate in some school systems. But my parents believed in education. They didn't have much, but they valued it. And if we got in trouble with school, at school, we were in trouble at home. Because they stuck with what the teachers, you got me? You didn't have, my parents didn't go up to the school and cuss the teacher out and threaten to do, and I don't care what they did. I don't care what they did. See, they always held that respect. Because why? Because what your children see you do before them, they will disrespect, you see. So it was more important for them to hold their peace, even though, and I'm not saying the teachers were right all the time, but they weren't wrong all the time either, you see. And so my parents knew that the leverage that we needed to be good students to get was held if they held that teacher in high esteem, at least before us, you know. And if they had to write a note or say something or go to a principal, it was done on a mature level. It was done on a respectful level. But it was never done in a way that it would harm that child in their future. So they invested respect in education across the board before us. If we caused trouble, we got in trouble and we quit causing trouble and we went to school to learn. Huh? You get the message after a while. And so these things, these sacrifices they made as investments in their children so their children could have a good education. And that wisdom is lost almost in this generation. You know, you'll see people go up to to school and say anything to the teachers and try to tell them how to run things and, you know, all kinds of nonsense right in front of the children. The children see this and they don't respect teacher or parent now. Because they have no sense of authority, the good side of authority, what it can do for you, how it can help your life. And they'll go through life not making it and having trouble everywhere and always blaming, well, the teachers don't like me. See, this is where that comes from. It comes from parental sanction on that kind of an attitude. See, So these are sacrifices that adults, parents make. They make sacrifices of attitude. They make sacrifices of holding their peace when they could go to pieces. All these things are sacrifices. They make sacrifices of teaching the children how not to squander money, even if there's excess money around. They give them good lessons. These are things that you do. These are sacrifices that you make to discipline 
your children because you know if they can govern themselves, then they won't have to be governed by the outside. See, they won't have the seven numbers across their chest and a red jumpsuit on, you know, because they don't know how to govern themselves. And so these are the things, these decisions that have to be made have to do with are you going to follow God's way, which oftentimes is a way of sacrifice. It's a way of self-discipline. It's a way of discipline so that you can uh, get the good out of life, but also so that you can live as an example to those who are watching you. The Bible says that we're his witnesses. Amen? And so the things that we say, the things that we attest to, Speak to people about the goodness of God. And so God wants able witnesses down here. So decisions we make are very important, folks. They're extremely important. Don't let your children see you arguing with authority. I can remember my parents argued in front of us, but there were many years they held it together and didn't do it in front of us. If they talked, it was after the kids went to sleep. And when my dad's drinking got so bad, you know, it was kind of out of control, then it's out of control then. But they kept a basic respect for us as children. They carried themselves in a respectful way in front of the neighbors. I can remember couples, when they would get in trouble with their marriage, would come and stay with my parents for a couple of days. And before they left, everybody was friends, and they'd iron things out, see. And so there is a way to live a disciplined life as an investment as treasure in heaven. See, all of this counts, folks, as treasure. Don't ever discount any righteous deed that you do is rewarded by God. And it's always rewarded. So these decisions that we make must be made in light of the fact that they have eternal consequences. So I was thinking about this <clears throat> because the Lord was impressing with me that right decisions can change the course of your life forever. But wrong ones can do the same thing too. See? Wrong ones has the same negative effect that a right one has. Now we can all repent and believe God for a miracle, but can you really? Because if you didn't have the, the trust of God to, to believe him in small things, it's going to be real hard now to believe him in biggies all of a sudden. It's easy to believe him in small things and gradually get there a step at a time than to get yourself in a snare and then have to believe him for a big bailout. Gloria Copeland said, one word from God can change your life forever. But you've got to accept it, embrace it, and obey it. Disobedience to his, his word can change your life forever too, in a negative way. It's important to know that you can get recovery. But you've got to understand what it is, where you're wrong. This is the problem with many people is that, you know, we get saved and have a, a nice opportunity in God and nice relationship. And then down the road, we stray away, get religious, and then we don't want to change. We don't want to face that was where I took my wrong turn, God. And can you please get me back on the right road? Uh, right road may be small steps for a long time. But as long as you're on the right road, he's with you. And that's very important. Very important. Amen? Very important. So I was thinking about this when the Lord was telling me how important it is to make the right decision in, uh, in the eternal consequence 
that 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 uh, has in your life. It reminds me of this story that I read when I was, I think it was a junior high school level story, short story. It's called The Lady or the Tiger. Anybody remember that story? This is a Jehovah Witness church. I don't know what they're teaching in school now, but when I was in junior high school, we read American, we had American literature, we read American authors, and you read a lot of short stories. You read a lot of Mark Twain, O. Henry, people like that. <clears throat> short stories were very popular at the turn of the century because they started making periodical magazines. And so authors, that's how they lived. They could submit their stories to the magazines, have them printed, and have great circulation. But this is a very popular story. It's a very well-known story by a man by the name of Frank Stockton. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll give you a synopsis of it. This, there was a, a king. It says, in very old time, there lived a king. He was kind of cultured, but he was also kind of not too cultured in some ways. And he was always trying to think of unique ways to run his kingdom. So one day he conceived of the idea that if somebody had uh, had to had broken the law and they had many laws, but if someone had broken the law, he would put them in a big arena and put before them two doors. Is that getting familiar to anybody? Behind one of those doors was a beautiful lady who he would be free to marry, run off with, have a good time. Behind the other door was a fierce tiger. And he had to do this in an arena full of many, many people. And so you know how it goes. The judgment was very swift and it was very quick. And it was thought that if they got devoured by the tiger, certainly they must be guilty. And if they ran off happily ever after, then that proved their innocence. Well, one day it was found that the king's daughter was in love with this young man. And they had been seeing each other for quite a while. And the father found out about it and was angry because they were doing it without his permission. So he put the young man in jail. And so he, the day were awaiting the day when he wound up in the arena to face the two doors. So these are doors of decision. And you have to make sure that when you make a decision, that you make it based on something other than just a feeling or guessing, which was what most of them only had when they went in there. But it was found out by this young woman which door which would be behind. So she was the only one who knew. And this information was kept secret and guarded all of the time with her being the king's daughter. She had money. She had influence. Everybody wanted to please her. So the day came for him to face the two doors in the arena, and she had found out which door had which one behind it. And so he was there nervous and trembling. They brought him out into the arena, and he stood looking, and he glanced up at her because he knew that she would some way know. And she looked at him, and he looked at her, and he knew, she knew, which door had which one behind it. And so she nodded to him which door to to open. And that's where the story ends. (laughs) It's one of those things where if you are a person who has a vested interest in a person's decision, do you have the integrity to tell them the thing that's going to help them or don't you? Now, she had told him the door with the lady. 
she would have lost him because he was going to marry. You had to marry whoever, whichever lady was behind that door. And if she had told him the tiger, she lost him too. So the question is, which door, the lady or the tiger? Or can you call on another authority to make a decision rather than depending upon a human being to help you with that? Just of it is, when you depend on human, merely human intelligence and merely human help, you will always wind up with something that's not going to be right for you. Depending on somebody else to help you make that decision is going to be wrong. So we have to depend on God and God alone in making decisions of eternal value, of any kind of value. But especially something like that that could be life or death and very quickly decided in your favor or against you. The only help that you really have is the help you can get from God. And it was amazing how many people will try to influence your decisions if you will let them. So going forth in the year, this is why many times people, when they have to make decisions at the beginning of the year, you'll see ministers. They'll go off for three days. Now, if they're with God, that's a blessing, you know. But they will seclude themselves from other people. They will seclude themselves from anybody who could influence them emotionally to raise their emotions or with that person's emotion invested in their decision. See, the king's daughter was definitely emotionally invested. And we don't know if she was the loving, giving type of a person or if she was the jealous type of a person that wanted to see him dead. If I can't have him, nobody can have him kind of thing. And so we have to keep those things in mind going into the new year and making your decisions. You have to make sure that you can hear clearly from God because the time of decision can often be a very low point in a person's life. See, when when you have to when you're forced into a place where a decision must be made, I mean, God's not pleased with the way you've been going about life and he wants you to change. And he, I've got more for you. You can do more. You can do better. Get up and let's go. Come on, come on. That kind of a decision is what I'm talking about. When that thing has to be made, sometimes there's a great deal of mental and emotional turmoil in a person's life. Turn to Joel chapter 3 and I'll show you what he saw. See, in order for you to sing another level, you have to make a decision to go there. It's the deciding oftentimes that is the hardest part for many people. Joel chapter 3. He says here, assemble yourselves in verse 11 and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about. There cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. If you will gather yourselves together, then God will begin to work. He said, let the heathen be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle. 
for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. So this is a time of judgment he's talking about. It's a time when God is going to judge the wicked and put in the sickle, take them out of positions, take them out of power, take them out of influence, all that kind of thing. And we see that going on in the world even more and more. When you see in times that we're living in now where where the economy isn't what it needs to be, it's amazing when people are rich, the wicked people and the greedy people are hidden from sight. But when the wealth dries up, then everybody gets exposed what kind of people they are. And I think part of that wealth drying up is the judgment of God to expose the wicked and take them out of positions of influence. So when this happens, it is a time of decision for everybody. He says multitudes, not just the heathen. Verse 14 says multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now the valley is a low place. Decision making places are often low places because when you have to make a decision, what comes to your mind is not just the vision that God has for you. But part of the decision-making process in a human soul is to weigh both sides. And so there's always a good side and there's always a risky side to any decision you want to make. Especially if it means one pla- leaving one place and going on to another. If you're leaving, if, if this is a transition time, everybody likes to use that word now, transition But transitioning really means you have to make a decision to go on. The transition is after the decision's been made. So God then has you in a valley, in a low place, where mentally you are weighing things, mentally you're thinking. You ever come, you know, want to talk to somebody and and they barely pay attention to you? You can see they're preoccupied on the inside. Sometimes people's Minds weigh heavily on things when they have to make decisions. All decisions in God have eternal consequence, folks. They're very, very important that you weigh everything, but that you do go on and decide for God. And it's not just a snap thing. Sometimes you'll look at, well, what's going to happen if? What's going to happen to? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? There are all kinds of things that the mind will will weigh back and forth in the decision-making process. So in the valley of decision, we have access to both thought processes. Oftentimes in decision-making, we look back to see what we've accomplished, and you also look back to see what you might risk if you go forward in God. It's always true. There's always a leaving something that's familiar and comfortable and coming into something that is not. It's important to have a refuge to go to when you make decisions. Your refuge is the word of God. You don't snap out off your brain and try to go forward in God. You must be in the word to make an accurate decision. Sometimes you have to get away from people who have an emotional pull on you, who have an emotional influence on you, because that could pull your soul over into either putting off the decision or letting the thing just sit there for a while. 
You can't move forward until a decision is made. Many people are doing the right things, but with a divided heart. And God wants your heart totally toward him. You can't be divided on the inside. You've got to be sure when you go on with God, it's what you need to do. I can remember when, I know you all know my friend Jan Johnson. and She comes over uh, sometimes when we have our friends and family day. And uh, she would give the testimony sometimes that she said, uh, when you left Detroit, you was, we was praying that you wouldn't kill your husband. Because I would call her sometimes. I got mad at, <laughs> mad at Mr. Williams. <laughs> I said, I'm going to hurt somebody over here. Get him out of here. Damn it. <laughs> because he was doing what sinners do. Huh? He didn't know the Lord. See? So as a sanctified woman praying for his salvation, I want to kill him many times. And so she said, I came up to Detroit and I saw him. I was shocked. I said, is that Aubrey raising his hands and worshiping God in the sanctuary? I said, yeah, girl, that's him, worshiping God in the sanctuary. (laughs) But before I got to the place where I could believe God, and this is important for you to understand, your faith will not work in the valley of decision. You must have a decided heart for your faith to work. You can't split your faith off and say, I'm believing God for something over here and still holding on to something else over here. Faith works by love and it's a righteous commodity. You've got to let it all go. And I can remember the day when I quit watching my husband to see how he behaved to decide if he was doing right and serving God or not. Remember, it's a decision. I cut it off. Because it was killing me and I was going to kill him if I didn't stop, you see. And so I made that decision and I cut it off. And then when God moved, it didn't move me one little bit. It was like, well, of course he's, you see. Because my faith had moved from a place of really doubt. See, if you're looking by sight, that's a, that's a doubting. You're moving in doubt. huh? You don't have to see nothing To know that God's going to do it. That he's working. He's working all the time. He says that in the Bible. And so we have to believe that he is working on what we are asking him for at all times. Is is part of judging him as faithful. So you've got to make a decision in here. He's faithful. I've got to stop this. And let him do what he does best. And that is work it out according to to what he said. Huh? Nothing's impossible with God. There's nothing too hard for God. God will do it again. He'll do it over and over again. We've got to believe that there's enough God in God to take care of every situation that we come up against. And so the decision was made to let God do what he does best. I remember reading that scripture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And, I, and God said, why don't you stay out of my business and let me do what I do? And I said, you got a deal. Finally, you got a deal. And it was not long after that that I saw him begin to soften toward God. And I wasn't looking. I went up into a, a we, we are recently moved to Detroit. And, and part, of, part of that moving had to do with his salvation. 
Because I could remember him coming to me, promising me. He said, well, when we move, he said, I know you're going to miss your friends in church, but I'll go to church with you. You know, that kind of stuff and saying, and I'm thinking, by now I could care. I got Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Honey, you should not never let me find him because your place is gone. Uh, But I love my husband, but I loved him in the right perspective now. Instead of, you got me? He was my world. When my world was good, he was good. When my world was bad, he was bad. And so when I finally let God have it, it was like, well, God's doing what I've asked him to do. And it was a release now in expectation, you know, that, that finally I was on the right road with this. And I could watch God work with him, give him a relationship, have those kinds of results and be blessed by that. And it was a blessing to me. To have a saved husband it was a blessing to me. Many times I would stop and say, well, I can't tell him this. He'll get mad at me, you know, when I would share some about God. And then he would look at me. He said, you could tell me. He knew what I was thinking because of the years that he had just been, you know, a heathen when, whenever God was mentioned. And so it was a blessing to me to see that he finally could lay down his burdens like I'd laid them down. That he could have the life that I could have. But I did it because I made a one-time decision. See, when you decide, you don't have to do it over and over again. Do it once, and it's done. Huh? And you don't go back anymore. You find yourself getting tempted to go back. You, don't. you know why a one-time decision is possible? Because you've convinced yourself that it's the right thing to do, and the doubts don't creep in anymore. And the, all these other things don't creep in anymore. You seal the door to those things, and those doors don't open anymore. And that's what God wants us to be, have our minds made up <clears throat> and our hearts fixed in obedience to him. So part of decision-making when you go into a new year is to, as long as you're in that valley place, you weigh everything and make sure you talk to God Don't go into a valley and just try to pull for ideas in your brain. You won't get the right answer. You've got to go to God and get your answers from him. Now people say things like, well, it's not that important. I have to ask God everything, do I? Mm -hmm. In fact, you need to ask him one thing. Mm -hmm. And that is, am I on the right road with you? That's the one question you need to God, it's, it, am I doing this right? Am I, it's, is this pleasing to you? Am I, you can get that close to God. See, but many of us live at such a distance and live our lives at such a distance. When God does knock on the door of our hearts, we're alarmed by it. We're wondering what he wants. You know, we're afraid to talk to him about this, afraid to trust him with this and that. But you can get closer to him. And understand what he wants and understand what your place is. And make your decisions based on love and trust and understanding that he only has good for you. That it might be tough for a while, but it's gonna, you're going to change on the inside. And then you're going to be converted to feel good about yourself in different ways. See, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing nothing close to what I thought I would have been doing with my life many years ago before I met the Lord. I had no clue I would, you know, you, you weren't, you didn't decide to be a preacher. That was something for weird people someplace else. 
that, you know, they just came up differently than everybody else. You didn't have a normal life and then one day you bump into God and you decide to give your whole life to him. You just didn't do that in my thinking. But then I found out that that's exactly how it happens. That God has a kingdom here that he invites people to come and live in and live for him and live a good life, a totally different life. So I gave up my plans for my life. Any plans I had, I let them go. The only thing I knew is that he had promised to save my whole household, and that included my husband too. And the day that I decided to trust God 100% with that was the day that I had room in my heart now to minister and to bless people. As long as you're carrying these burdens around and you haven't decided to release them to God, you don't have much to give to anybody, much, much less to serve God with. So I tell people, I say, before God will use you, you need to get yourself, your faith in gear for these things. You can't be running around doubting. That's why we have so many ministers getting divorced. They never believed God for that person that they're married to. So they watch them all the time. How are they treating me? What did they say? Are they mean to me? Are they nice? They try to straighten them out. See, that's wrong. You have to trust God with all this stuff. More Cirillo gave the testimony that his wife, who had had perfect health all their, you know, she was never sick. She got gravely ill suddenly. And he had already booked, you know, he stays booked all the time. He booked some conferences. And she was in the hospital. Now, this man is a man who, who has the stature of ministry that he has, as many followers as he has, <clears throat> all of that. And he gets up to that level in ministry, and then the test comes. See? Benny Hinn, the test comes. The test is always going to come. There's a decision that we all have to make to 100% trust God or it's not going to work at all anymore. It's all going to fall apart on you. And the risk may seem very high. But if you will let God in that valley of decision, if you'll stay in God, in the word, don't be influenced by outside influences. People who will work you emotionally. And he said that he decided... To stay with his work. And his wife was back in California in the hospital. And he said that on a daily basis, he would ask God, God, what do I do? And God wouldn't answer him. He knew what that meant. (laughs) What did you tell me you were going to do? Keep doing it. But God, they say she's dying. That's my wife. No answer. Then he had to deal with the sons, all his family members working in the ministry, all the trusted generals around him, you know, all these people that, you know, I'm your armor bearer, I'm your this, I'm your that. Well, you should go see her. What do you mean God told you? This is your wife. I don't believe that's God. I know you think you know God. Oh, he went through it. And what came out of everybody was all of the junk they've been harboring. See, this is a work for everybody, see. Even the people that try to influence you wrong, you'll see what's really inside of them. Huh? A lot of self-interest. These people are not so much concerned about the wife because she got a relationship with God too. See, this is what you don't understand. That God is taking care of her while she's ta- he's taking care of God's business. See? 
But these, amen. <clears throat> amen. But these decisions get harder and harder the more established you are because there's more at stake. There's more at stake. And so he stayed three days. She's at death's door. Three days. And then he said suddenly there was a turnaround on the inside of him. He said something broke. And he said that her, her health began to increase, take a turn, you know. Then the people who had told him to, they started hiding, you know. We were wrong, blah, blah, blah. He never got vindictive against them. He never fired anybody. He never retaliated in any way. Because people are just going to be people. They thought they knew, see, but nobody knew God but him in this situation. So there are going to be some decisions you'll have to make. Nobody can hear from God for you but you. Because you need to hear it and it needs to be spoken to your heart. Because you've got to carry that on the inside of you and you've got to make the decision. And you've got to know every time this decision gets challenged, you've got to know what God put on the inside of you. This wasn't something where somebody changed your mind about something or blew your mind or turned your head and told you you were this and that. You got me? This is something you got 100% from God. And so as it turns out, she got her healing. More Cirillo says she was healthier in the last years after that than she'd ever been in her life. She had no sickness whatsoever because God had totally restored this woman. Now, she needed restoration. This is what you've got to accept whenever you see a saint of God going through difficult times. That God is with them. You pray that God stays with them and that they don't let go of him. But God has a vision to bring them out on the other side. See, And you have to be careful not to try and stop that process huh, with your love. huh, Compassion. Just let them stay with God and get it worked out until it gets worked out. Now blessing for her is it didn't take long for her. For some people it may take a while. And we may have to see some people go through some things and see them suffer and all of that. The best thing you could do is you stay in the word right along with them. You stay in the word with them, with God, so that you can be a support and an encouragement to them in what God is doing in their lives. But we all have to come to these what I call watershed places where it's, it's, it's a different level. The flow is different. And you're going to step into a different flow of things because God wants to take you on a wild ride. And he can't do it with your fingers clutched to everything. And he can't do it with you holding on to everything. And he can't do it with you afraid. But if you will let go and trust him, make that decision to trust him, then you'll get through to that next level and come on to the other side. How are we doing over there? Okay, good. So in the Valley of Decision... You have access to both ways of thinking, the fears and the negative. Decisions, if you make decisions in the low places and the valleys based on natural information, you don't leave room for God to do anything. But if you'll stay with the word and God is your refuge, understand this, that you buy time in the decision making process by feeding on the word. Sometimes people may make you think that you've got to make a quick decision in a hurry. 
But if you'll feed on the word of God, you can buy time. You can get time on your side. Amen. The Bible says those who believe shall not make haste. The way the devil pushes you to open the wrong door is to put haste in the picture and make you think you've only got a certain amount of time to make that decision. While your soul may be troubled, the spirit man has a good access to contact God. It's almost like your spirit gets driven to the only place it can find some comfort. And that's a blessing from God. Because it it shows that you do have something going on inside of you that's right. Because if the world were your comfort all the time, you doubt if you was really saved. You understand what I'm saying? But the fact that you get you can you can draw back into your spirit man for a refuge means that there's something there that God has to work on that he considers valuable. So stay with that that's valuable. So while your soul may be troubled, your spirit is able to contact God and must contact him. Just like that young man in the story that had a life or death decision to make. We must look to a reliable and trusted source who knows the end at the beginning and loves us and has our best interest in mind. God's vision for us is to lead us to an inheritance. Not just a day-to-day living, but he's leading us into an inheritance. The difference being that if it's an inheritance, it lasts forever. If it's just day-to-day, it perishes with the using. So you may have to have some slim days sometimes while you're working on your inheritance. Anybody who's ever bought anything, saved for anything or anything will tell you. We had very, very tight times for a minute and then we got money saved or we got on our feet or whatever it is. That's just true, period. With anything of lasting value, you're going to have to make sacrifices and sow into it before it will become real to you. But you need to know this, that your father is trustworthy and he has promised to supply all of your need. There is not one thing that God cannot do for you that another human being can. Hmm? This is where we get twisted. We'll sell out because we want a friend or we want somebody or we want somebody to love us or whatever, whatever. Well, God can do all of that. You just don't think he can. You just don't think he can. Hmm? I remember when when my husband first passed away and I would say, well, I'm by myself. And no, I would say I'm alone now because that word had like a, you know, like dramatic. I'm alone now. And God says, you're not alone. He said, you're just by yourself. (laughs) It's by yourself. In other words, I'm here. Huh? You want to add deaf and dumb to your resume, I'm here, stupid. You got me? (laughs) And so he had to wake me up to some things because in your emotions you think you're entitled to be stupid. (laughs) But you're not. That is the truth. 
I remember the day when, when God told me to get up and quit it because if I didn't, the devil was going to kill me. Mm-hmm. See, there's a snare. Emotions always get you involved in a snare. Mm-hmm. And snares sometimes are really hard to entangle yourself from. In fact, some are impossible for you to get yourself out of and you've got to wait for deliverance. Oh, y'all don't believe me. (laughs) Even if it's nothing more than coming to church on the right day and getting slapped all upside your head and down the other side. That's your deliverance. Quit it. Stop it. Cut it out. Get it right. And so this is what God's provided for us, the ability to come out of the snare. Whenever we start crying out to him, he'll get us out of that snare. But if you don't want to come out of the snare, if you like, you know, the surroundings in your ensnared life, you like the carnal surroundings and that kind of stuff, it's going to be hard for God to bring you out. But you can make a decision to come out of that. So decisions don't take a great deal of time. What a decision really depends on is how quickly you can gather information and weigh it. Mm -hmm. You get your information, the pro side and the con side, and you weigh it. Religion is just saying, it's okay, whatever God says is okay, and you think you're going to run off and do it. That's not a decision. That's just a religious mentality. Huh? What's in your heart? See, the word will search out your heart. And God will find out if your heart is really in living for him or if it's not. So once you find out your heart isn't in living for God, you've got to put some God in there so it can be. And so once that your heart is fixed in God, the decision part for God becomes easy. Until you get there, you're going to be torn between what's fun, what's exciting, what everybody's doing, huh? instead of being committed 100% to God. You can look at people when God is, is helping them to decide for him. They, they're almost a little like they're dying somewhere. Because they know that it's going to be a death to the old carnal life. See, I can't kick it no more. I can't ball no more. I can't do a lot of things no more. I got to read my word. I got to live upright. I got to be careful. The example that I set, my family, with my children, with everybody, it's going to cost you. See? This is old fashioned gospel, folks. It's good all the time. Because you'll, you'll, never get, you'll never get to money cometh to me now, which you shouldn't want to do that. Once you know God and you know what his son did for you and how precious that is, you don't treat him like a slot machine. In fact, you, you feel glad that you made it another day and didn't get squashed like a bug what you did yesterday. You got me? And so this is, this is our decision, folks, is to, to sacrifice, slaughter the flesh. That's what sacrifice means. It means to slaughter your flesh and go through that affliction and understand that you're doing it out of devotion to God, that he's got your heart now. Your heart is no longer divided. To where you don't feel you can trust him with your words, with your money, with your life, with your family, with anything, with your plans. You've got to be able to trust him. So in gathering information to make a decision, 
you have to have what we call counsel. C-O-U-N-S-E-L. And the Bible says you have one. That's Jesus. He's your lawyer, your advocate. He is on your side all the time. He is never not on your side. He goes to bat for you. He speaks to the Father on your behalf. He is talking to the Father about provision that he wants you to have. He's talking to the Father about a good, a peaceful relationship in life that he wants you to have. He's talking to the Father about your your spouse, your future spouse, husband, wife, whoever it is. He's talking to the Father about that person all the time. Which means you don't need to talk to anybody else about them. You got me? You've already had counsel. It's like if I went to a lawyer and paid for good legal advice, I come and ask Avis what she thinks about my case. Huh? She don't have no law degree. She don't have nothing like that. Huh? Now, she might be a friend in some ways, but she can't help me in that area where I need help. So once you go to God and you get an understanding of what he has for you, what he's got planned for you, the things that he wants you to do in your life and with your life, then you don't need anybody else to give you any further information. You don't. And believe me, once you get a word from God, all hell will break loose to give you an opposite one. Everybody will tell you that's the wrong decision. What are you waiting for? You need to do this while you're young. Time's wasting. All this kind of stuff. And so we have to understand that our advocate, Jesus, wants the best for us all the time. He's not trying to hurt you, put you down, or cause you not to have fun. But he wants you to have an inheritance. He wants to be able to lift your head and show you you're better than you ever thought you were in life. You can do a whole lot more than you ever thought you could do in life. But you've got to trust me to bring it to you. So your life is already cluttered with things. So you can make a decision anyway. See, I say this. Make the decision even though your life is cluttered with things. Huh? It's, this, is, this is what people do. Well, you don't understand. I'm married. I got this. I got that. I got that. Yeah, but you'll have it better if you trust God with it. You don't leave that behind. You just put it under God instead of on top of him. Well, you can be Jehovah Witnesses if you want to. But sometimes the decision is just that, to get things in divine order for a change. Instead of you trying to run everything all the time. huh? Because it's going to run out. huh? People always talk about stress. Huh? I ain't been stressed in over 30 years. I killed him. Huh? Shot him dead. Huh? He don't bug me. You know why? I know how to enter into the rest of God. Huh? Found out one day. That the Sabbath really means a life of rest. I can rest in God any time I desire to. I can let all this go and say, God, take me into your rest. Now, I put this stuff down long enough. (laughs) You know, let me get myself refreshed and recharged in you. Get your spirit strong. So that your spirit can carry your life instead of you trying to carry your life all the time. And it's not because I'm old. 
See, that's the first thing people would say, well, <laughs> if I was your age, I guess I'd be resting too. I've been doing this for over 30 years. huh? When I was doing everything myself, I messed my life up. I had a nervous breakdown. Now, any idiot that's been cured would know not to go back there anymore. I don't visit them places no more. So I don't have anything to prove to anybody. I don't have to be better than anybody. I don't have to be smarter, richer, none of that kind of stuff. I just have to live for God. huh? Easiest life. Every, the best decision I ever made was to quit trying to run everything my, myself and let God have it. Amen. If that's the decision you need to make this year, make it. Get in the Word and make a decision. God, I put you first and put everything else under you. See if the devil won't wrestle you for it. Well, you know, you can't neglect your job. You can't neglect your family. We're far from neglect. What I see, I don't see nobody hitting it real hard at none of it. You see what I'm saying? And if you put God first, you'll find out how your energies can be spent more wisely. You'll have more time for him. You have time to do things for God. You can get to church on time and enjoy it while you're here. Huh? And not be trying to lay down somewhere because you're demanding whooped you up. It's true. Huh? That's because people worship those things. They think they got it in order, but they really don't. Huh? Listen, I can, I work, before I get here to preach, I've already worked two hours cooking every time I get here. You got me? I don't whine about it. I don't complain about it. That's my seed I sow to God's people. Listen, the best people on the earth are God's people. Are you kidding me? Read your Bible. Look at the reward you get for serving God's people. Look at the reward you get for serving the righteous. Look at the reward you get for holding them in high esteem. And don't tell me this ain't the easiest thing you've ever done. Huh? All you got to do is love God and treat his people right. Put them on the top of your list. Anything you do, God's people go to the head of it. Huh? Absolutely. Why do you think righteous people are blessed? They got it in order. They figured out. Huh? Miss Carrie taught us that. Remember years ago, she would come with different things to give to people. And she said, now, you take this because I want my blessing. Huh? She'd force it on you. take this because I want my blessing. And many times, you know, you think, well, this lady, she's by herself and she doesn't have much, you know, carnal, not kingdom thinking. But I started receiving and I started taking notes. And I start realizing this woman's on to something and never turn back. Why? The Bible says that first take care of the household of faith. Huh? God's people are first people in this earth everywhere. Don't hold them in low esteem. Put them down because you see them struggling. And you see them with problems and you see them going through things. Don't put people down for that. Huh? You know why you don't put them down? Because your day's coming. Huh? You're on your feet now, but your day's coming. You're going to struggle. There are going to be things against you just like them. And you're going to want a compassionate person on your side somewhere that can speak into your life in a kind way. Huh? Can speak into your life in a, in a way that's going to keep you on the right road. 
So your counselor, Jesus, is there to help you in making the decision. It's very important. The important thing, now, the word will guide you by the Holy Spirit. But worship is where you get strengthened in your relationship with God. Hmm? And this is very important because I see sometimes people during praise and worship, some people are active, some people are hand lifters, some people do it every now and then. But I'm telling you, if you will get into the life of worship and worshiping God, this is where you become his friend. This is where you get comfortable in his presence. This is where you get your confidence, your God confidence that he's with you and things that you do will work. Uh, you get it in worship. Worship is where you strengthen your relationship with God as a person, as God, as person God. If you don't participate, it's because you've got some restriction in your mind or somewhere that you don't feel you're accepted. Now, people don't like to hear that, but it's true. Amen. Acceptance, knowing you're accepted, will break you out of your you know, man shell or woman shell or whatever y'all be wearing around here. You know, your little pride thing. That where you can't be seen doing what everybody else does because you're better. You got me? Oh, yeah. Oh, we breaking it all off today, baby. In fact, we'll put in another CD if we need to. Because huh? all y'all turtles need to come out your shell and know who your maker is. Huh? Absolutely. Because it's hindering your strength in your spirit before God. It's hindering that. So when we break out of that through worship, then we have our acceptance from God. We have an understanding. Some people worship and just feel the music. But you haven't worshipped until you feel God. Until you know that it's God that you're worshipping. Many times it'll be, you know, when you're by yourself. Oftentimes it's in a corporate setting. I don't care when it is. I just want to know that I know that I know that my relationship with God is solid and I'm not afraid of what he's going to expect of me. And I'm not afraid that he's not going to respond to me. And I'm not afraid. I've laid all the fear down and walked in acceptance. So in worship, we gain confidence and approval. You need when when in the old covenant, when they made sacrifices, they waited for God's approval. You put your offering on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice. And if the smoke ascended to heaven, you knew you were approved. Same thing happens in worship. Now, you have to understand your approval before God in the realm of worship and take that with you outside of the realm of worship And walk in that approval at all times. When we we gain confidence and approval. And it is the life of God expressed to us. And God says and he lets you know on the inside of you that you're okay. In fact, I'll move you up higher. This decision will be easy for you. I've got something in mind for you that you didn't even think I had for you. Because you worship me. The Bible says, for those who worship God, wealth and riches shall be in their house. Wealth and riches. Wealth and riches. 
not credit cards, not notes, but wealth and riches. You got me? It's a big difference. Big difference. See? It's a big difference. Because we have to understand that God has so much more for us. So just keep worshiping him till you get wealth and riches. That's the way I see it. You, know, you don't have it like that yet. Keep doing it until you get that. When we humble ourselves before God in worship and we bow down, he looks at us through the eyes of Jesus. So you don't have to be worried about being accepted or not accepted. He don't see you anyway. He sees his son. Huh? He sees his son. Come here a second. Stand up for one second for me. Now, come turn around and face them right in front of me. All right. Now, you bow down and worship. Now, what do you all see now? You see me, right? Amen. That's what God sees when we worship him. So you don't ever have to be afraid of being accepted or not accepted. You get humble and he sees his son. Huh? He sees his son. And he gives you the benefit of what his son did on your behalf. So it's not you anymore that's doing anything. You could get lost in this and gain everything because God is with you and he approves of you because you worship and bow down before him. So he looks past us and sees his son. The other thing that God does is when we come to him to worship, he allows us to pursue him. He allows us to pursue him. And when you pursue God, we travel faster than normal earth time. Because once you apprehend God, you can pursue him, run after him, go after him, apprehend him. And when you catch up to him, then you pull into your life realm everything that you've been asking him for. So you can speed it up, go after him more and more and more. Like when I I told you that I was sowing, I've been sowing for a season. It's been one thing after another after another sown. Why? Because I'm pursuing God. And see, I'm catching up with him now because I've gotten some 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 fruit. Some, But I'm not going to stop. See, in times past, you get what you ask for and you stop. And you need to keep going and continue to pursue him because you can pull in everything that you need. So then he's not a money coming slot machine. He's God that you embrace and pursue and he has everything. See? Blessings without sorrow. In the pursuit of God, we can also make up for lost time. How many people lament all the years that have gone by when they've done without something? I've done it. No, your, your mind, your self-pity will get the grip on you sometimes and you're the most pitiful person in the world. But you can get time on your side. Thank God we don't have to consult several gods for our needs, just one. You can get time on your side. You can bring it in to where you can get the benefit of renewed time. He said he restore the years. That the locust, canker worm, palmer worm have eaten. Huh? So look for that. But it happens when you pursue him. When you're on the hunt. When you turn this thing, flip the script. Instead of being scared of him. Scared what he's going to say. Because you're on the naughty and the nice list again. Huh? Just keep yourself on both of them just in case. In case he blessing naughty people. I mean, you know, we can get so confused. We don't even know what list we want to be on. Huh? Casey blessing naughty people this year. I'm going to get on that one and 
bank it and be on the nice list too. You'll do enough for that one. But we can get time on our side. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Lo, I stand at the door and knock. He's always knocking at the door of our hearts. We can let him in any time. You can make a decision to pursue God, have more of God, be more obedient to God, get God more on your side, do more for God's people, be blessed more. Anything that God puts on shows you where you can improve. Not so much where you've been deficient, where you've been bad, but you can improve. You can always do more. You can always, and the blessing that comes will be immeasurable. Because it won't just come in one area of your life. You can be so blessed of God and, and pursue. I remember God did something for me and it almost passed me by. I was thinking, I said, no, I didn't even ask him for this. And he gave it back to me. And he, oh, yeah, my um, that um, thing that I keep my TV in. Remember, I got that thing for $49. And I had sewn one and just didn't even think no more. I had it on a bookcase. Why? Because it watches me more than I watch it. You see what I'm saying? But God won't let. And I didn't even ask him to give it back to me. It wasn't really with, I'm sewing this to get that thing. Even though that works. Trust me. you got to do that sometimes. But when I did, I just gave it because it was. I just needed to give it. I just wanted to give it. You know, just... Do. And then pretty soon this thing comes back to me. What was better fit for my room? It was, you know, you know, newer, new, whatever, whatever. But I noticed that I said, God, I didn't even ask you for that. I wasn't even expecting that to come back to me. But that made me realize this, that he keeps up with everything and he's not going to owe us anything. So if you ever get the impression that God is taking you too slow, you're not doing this, you're not, well, I need this right away. It is on the way. If you'll stay in faith, it will come to you. Because God keeps up with everything. He doesn't, he doesn't owe anybody anything but to love them. And so he will see to it that you can possess, you can recover, you can recapture, you can get clean again. You know, if you've lost something through, you know, your mind is... Is I don't know if I can ever get back, you know, uh, whatever. I was listening to a young woman preach some years ago. And she had, had been, uh, you know, in college, smoked dope, slept around. And, and she was getting married now. And she said, you know what? God met me one night and he touched me and he made me a virgin again. And I'm thinking, hmm. That's pretty supernatural. You got me? But that was an assurance that she got from him that those years that the devil stole from her in promiscuity would never come back to haunt her anymore. You got me? Took all that memory away. Took all that rough living away. Took all of that away and made her uh, an able bride for her new husband. God can do all of that, honey. He can restore everything. Everything. And he will restore. Nothing will be lost, folks. Your decisions to pursue God, to go forward in God. Best decision you'll ever make. Whatever it entails. You're the bride of Christ. huh? You open the door and there's the lady inside. And that's you. That's the one that you can become in God if you'll stay with him. 
uh, adorned to the hilt, able, capable, competent, everything that you think you're not, you can be in him. Because you make the decision to do more for him, trust him more, read your word more, whatever it is you need to do more. Break some bad habits. huh? You know, years go by and we get in, into slothful Christian habits instead of diligent Christian habits. Now, I remember when I was in Catholic school, you didn't come to Mass late. You was just scared. You didn't know what them sisters would do to you, you know. If they got loose on you one good time for disobedience. I mean, they crucified you on the suspicion. You know, if you was found guilty, I mean, I don't know what would happen. But I I appreciate the discipline and the respect they tried to put in us for God. And they didn't even know him. They didn't even have the reality. They just had a, a form of religion, but they respected it because it was attached to God. How much more can we have? If we will just let go of everything, open the right door this year. Don't let another year go by doing the same old, same old. Because it's going to get rougher. It's going to get older. It's going to deteriorate more. There's no life in it for us right now if we tell the truth. We're just going through the motions. And so the things that we need to leave behind, let's leave them behind. And let's make the right decision. Everlasting, everlasting consequences. Depend on you opening that door for God. Open the right door for him. Amen. We'll do that this year. Praise God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And let this not just be another New Year's resolution or another New Year's decision. But let this be one where we pursue you. Let us take time to go into your word to find out what you want us to do. Father, let us let us do the things that we need to do, Father. If it means that, that we need another prophecy, Lord, we can take a time out to do that and prophesy to everybody and assure them of what God wants for them. Father, whatever your servant can do to help your people get on the right track, we'll do that for them, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that we are sincere people who sincerely want to please you, want to serve you, and want the benefits of the righteous life that you have for us. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. If somebody needs prayer, I'll pray for you now, after which Miss Nola will make the announcements and we'll have our fellowship meal.